0: Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. All right, my message to you this morning is lost and found. Today we're going to talk about lost and found. And I want to start off this story by showing off some... Okay, old-fashioned, very dad-like apparel, but here it is. This is a special pouch into which fits a Swiss Army knife. Now, this, folks, is not just any Swiss Army knife. You will notice something interesting about this Swiss Army knife. Can anybody put their finger on it? It's white. You're quite right. Do you know why it is white? I beg your pardon? No, not because it's not blue. Swiss Army knives are generally red. And they were originally made for the Swiss Army. And they were originally made white. But of course, where does the Swiss Army normally do their thing? In the snow. And so a lot of these ended up going missing, which is why it ended up being made red in the end. Now, there's only one place in the world that you can still get a white Swiss Army knife, and that is in Switzerland. Switzerland. They don't sell them anywhere else. You have to go to Switzerland to get them. And that's why this particular Swiss Army knife is so special to me. Because many, many years ago, my sister went on a tour, and while she was in Switzerland, she bought her little brother a Swiss Army knife. Now, that must have cost her a fortune. Quite possibly it cost my parents a fortune, but it doesn't matter who actually paid for it. My sister brought me a Swiss Army knife. And I've always treasured the Swiss Army knife. It's just been a special thing because... It also has my name engraved on it. Michael, that's me. And I've had the Swiss Army knife since I've been probably about 12 years old. Helen and I got married, and then one day, I couldn't find the Swiss Army knife. It had gone missing. And I looked, and I looked, and I looked, and I searched, and my wife looked and looked, and she searched, because you know, (laughs) us men are generally not very good at finding things, are we? But none of us could find them. Now, I probably managed to convince my wife it was her fault, and she'd probably lost it somewhere around the house. But anyway, this Swiss Army knife went missing. And I was sad about it. I mean, it was, it's, a, it's a precious Swiss Army knife. It has lots of sentimental value. I promise I don't normally walk around wearing it like this, but for the purposes of today's sermon, I, I did. And so the knife went missing. And I was really sad about that, but anyway, you move on with your life and things happen. And then one day, out of the blue, for my birthday, if I'm not mistaken, my wife was having a chat to my mom one day, and she was talking about a friend of hers who happened to be going on overseas to Europe, and she was going to be stopping over in Switzerland. And Helen went, hmm, okay, this knife went missing. Maybe we can make a plan here. And she spoke to so and so. She made and devised all of these plans, and so for my birthday, I got this Swiss army line. You'll notice it's the different one. I haven't, there's no magic tricks here, there's two. <laughs> And it also has my name engraved on it. And my wife went to all the effort to make a plan to get me another one because she knew how much the Swiss Army knife from Switzerland, the white one, meant to me. Of course, a few months later, (laughs) I went to, I was playing golf at that stage, I went to the driving range and I went to go dig for another ball because I probably lost one somewhere. And I looked for something in my golf bag, and out of the bag came my pocket knife. And I went, Oh, I found my pocket knife. My wife is going to kill me. (laughs) But I don't know quite why I took my pocket knife with me to golf. I'm not quite sure what I would have needed it for, maybe to defend myself against a crocodile or something. I don't know. But the truth is, I found my pocket knife again. And I was so unbelievably pleased when I got this pocket knife originally. I was obviously broken or very sad when I lost it. I I wasn't broken. But again, I was absolutely overwhelmed with gratitude to my wife when I got this one. Because she knew it meant something to me. And she went to special effort to arrange and to make a plan for me to get another pocket knife just like the one I had. And then, of course, I was overjoyed again when I found the original pocket knife. Now, let me ask you a question. Which one do you think means more to me? Uh-huh. <laughs> the truth is neither <sighs> dodged a bullet there why? because if I'm using or looking at this one or if I'm using or looking at this one both of these knives tell a story of love for me I love these, both of these knives equally when I, look at them, you know, when I use this one I remember and I think of my sister when I use this one, I think of the lengths my wife went to to get me something that she knew meant a lot to me. At the point, however, that each was received, each one gave me great joy. You know, although I had this one that my wife gave me, when I found the one that was lost, I was overjoyed. It didn't make me not appreciate the one that I now have, but I was joyful, I was overjoyed, because that knife, too, had value to me. Now, did you know that there's a whole chapter in the Bible that speaks about this principle? You'll find it in Luke chapter 15, and we're just going to work our way through that chapter this morning. That's why this message today is called Lost and Found. And we're going to start from verse 1, and this is Jesus teaching, and it says that tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Tax collectors were the outcasts. They were the betrayers of Israel. They were working for the enemy to extort unjust taxes upon the Jewish people. And they were seen as infidels. Tax collectors were really outcast and hated because they were the betrayers. And then, of course, we have also sinners, those who didn't live up to the standard of the law. And they came to listen to Jesus teach, and he welcomed them, and he let them. It says, And this made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go and search for that one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together all his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. And in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over ninety-nine others who are righteous and haven't strayed. This is the story Jesus talks about. And it's born from this, this notion that why on earth are you allowing these people to come near to you if you call yourself a rabbi. You see, concerning the sheep, when we hear this story, we may say something like, look, surely you sacrifice one for the greater good of the ninety-nine. You don't just leave ninety-nine vulnerable and then just for one. That doesn't make any sense, does it? It doesn't seem right, does it? It, it? It seems strange. Unless, of course, you happen to be that one sheep. And then it changes everything. Each and every one is important to God. No matter how righteous or unrighteous, how good or bad, how clean or how dirty, each and every one is precious in the eyes of God. And in the same way that a man picks up a sheep and puts it on his shoulders, so too Jesus does with us. When we go astray, when we get lost, He comes to find us. You see, that was the main difference about this. The Pharisees and the teachers were upset that Jesus was spending time with people who were not really pursuing Him, because they believed that God would receive a sinner that came to Him in the right way, and there was a a way that this needed to happen, and, and the onus was on them to come to God. But Jesus reveals the heart of God by not just receiving, but by pursuing, going after the lost sheep, pursuing it, looking for it, trying to find it. And same way today, God pursues the hearts of those who are distant to Him, calling them to repentance. And this is the wonderful difference. That we serve a God. We've sung a song this morning, God, I'm running for your heart. Guess what? He's running for yours. He is running for your half-hearts. He is pursuing our affection, because that is the God that we serve. Why? Because each and every one is precious in His sight. Precious. Dearly loved, valued, treasured. You see, we don't become loved or treasured by God when we get saved. We just awaken to the fact that we are loved and treasured by God. We welcome His love into our lives. But there's not a person in this world who God does not deeply love and cherish. Now concerning this whole idea of there being more joy for the one that was lost, why why is there more joy? I mean, some of those other sheep didn't stray. They didn't do anything wrong. Surely he, God should be more joyful over that one, right? The man should be happy about all these very obedient little sheep. The simple reason he was overjoyed is because they were lost. The one was lost. And now it is found. The joy comes in the fact that it was, there was a mourning, there was a grieving that went on because of the precious one that had been lost. And now was found, was dead, but now is alive. And the question I have, and the question we need to answer this morning is, do we share in that wonderful joy of the Father? That when one is found, there is joy. Do we value that lost soul the way He does? You see, folks, you don't rejoice over finding what you already have, do you? You rejoice in finding what you have lost. Many of us go through this on a regular basis. It's either your car keys or your cell phone. I know in my house, Helen always says, Have you seen my cell phone? Can you phone it quickly, please? (coughs) Oh dear, I've left it on silent. (laughs) And then the search begins. And she's happy when she finds it. She's not happy for her cell phone now. It's right there next to her. But there's joy in the discovery in the coming back, in the the being restored to something that was lost. Jesus goes on to tell another very similar story. In verse 8, he says, Suppose a woman had ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. You can see this is in South Africa. (laughs) Verse 10, in the same way there is joy in the presence of God's angels when one sinner repents. Isn't that beautiful? In the very presence of God where the anthem echoes, Holy, holy, holy <coughs> is the Lord God Almighty. There comes a sound from the back of the room. And there's, a, there's laughter and there's joy. And the guy, they're trying to still sing holy and they're wondering what's going on here. And suddenly the news hits them. One of them got saved. Yes! And it spreads. And it's joy. Because one that was lost has been found. One that was dead, dead in trespasses, has been made alive. A son and daughter has been found. There is great joy in heaven when hearts turn towards God. And the question I'm asking you today is to think deeply inside yourself, honestly and sincerely, do we really, genuinely share that joy? Or do we treat it as information? Sobering question because it reveals to us the state of our hearts. So-and-so got saved. Oh, that's great. Wonderful. Oh, I'm glad. I'm happy for them. But when we catch the heart of the Father about how precious just that one was, and the wonder of the joy that he is feeling at being restored to his child, man, if we really shared that joy in such a deep way, surely it would change something within us when we begin to look at those who are lost. Jesus goes on to share another story and to really drive this point home. And we're going to look at that story this morning. It's fitting that it's Father's Day too. Let's carry on from verse 11. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. A younger son... Sorry, the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money on living wildly, or wild living. Older translations call it prodigal living. You see, what we see here is a son whose heart had departed from his father. He valued other things more than intimacy with his dad. He valued his own way. He wa- valued wanting to do what he wanted to do, how he wanted to do it. He wanted to take all the father that the father could give him, however. But having received that, he wanted to do his own thing his own way. And instead of remaining under the protection and the provision that came with being submitted to the Father's will. He wanted to do his own thing. He wanted to do what was good in his own eyes for himself. And so we see what happens. The self-centeredness, this desire to want to do what I think is right, what I think is best for me. Now I've got the means to do it. You know what means does, by the way? It simply gives you the options to do what you've always wanted to do. What, to reveal what is truly in your heart. That's what means does. You give somebody money, you'll find out what's truly in their heart. Let me put it a different way. You want to know what's precious and valuable to you? Take a look at your credit card statement. Take a look at your bank statement. That'll tell you what's truly important to you. Let's carry on. Oh, let me make this point. Can you imagine the pain that, must have, that this father must have endured? His son comes to you Dad, I want my inheritance. He says, all right, fine, I'll give it to you. And the next thing he takes, up sticks and he leaves. And he goes, thanks, Dad, ciao. And off he goes. Nothing the father can say, nothing the father can do. Deep sadness. But thankfully, this is not where the story ends. About the time when his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. And he persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. So in other words, he now entered a way of life, having spent and squandered and made foolish decisions, he entered a way of life which you could say was, was, he was suffering. He was now suffering the consequences of his decision. And that last sentence really sums it up. No one gave him anything. The man was isolated. He had isolated himself. He had drawn himself and withdrawn from those beautiful relationships around him. Now he was alone. He didn't feel he could go to anybody. No one was there to help him. Nobody was going to step in to give him a hand. Verse 17. When he finally came to his senses, he came to his senses. He had a a realization. What he once perceived as restrictive, uh, what he once perceived as perhaps controlling, he now recognized was a place of love and of blessing and of safety for him. So where did his heart yearn to return to once everything was going wrong? It was the very place that he once wanted to get away from. It was the very place that he once turned his back on to go his own way. He realized that going his own way was causing him pain and isolation. Proverbs 18.1 speaks into this. It says, He who isolates himself seeks his own way. He rages against all wise counsel. I'm sure you've seen this. People, when they want to do their own thing, they don't want to follow, they don't want counsel. They begin to separate themselves, they begin to distance themselves so that they can do their own thing. So when he came to his senses, he said to himself... At home, even the servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. And so now we see how deep and how dark this place of deception had come. And this is so often what we do with God. We try to draw near if we feel guilty or condemned, Oh, we know we've messed up. We know our hearts have departed. We know we haven't been doing what we ought to be doing. And we try to then draw near to Him as a servant to do all the right things and all the things that are expected of us so that somehow maybe God will accept us back again. Somehow maybe if we do all the right things, you know, okay, sorry, I'll do better, God. I'll do better. I'll try harder. Then maybe He'll, he'll receive us back. But you see, God won't receive sons and daughters as servants. It's not an option for him. But here we see a picture of a son who comes in with genuine repentance. He acknowledges the departure of his own heart. He says, God, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. Why? Why has he sinned against heaven? Because that's where God had placed him. That's why the Bible says, honor your mother and father that it may be well with you. We see the older brother honored his father and mother. He was in his father's house. We'll talk about him in a minute. But things were going well with him, seemingly. But when we look at the youngest son, who departed, it wasn't going so well. So he had sinned against both God's decree and against his father. But, verse 22, his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Let's just break this down quickly. A robe is position. A robe is is something that you wear that signifies. It's like uniform today. It symbolizes something. It symbolizes his place as a son in the house. A ring is authority. He says, give him a ring, put some sandals on his feet, give him a robe, and kill the fatted calf that we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so you see that principle coming again. The father, instead of wanting to drive something home here, instead of telling the son how bad he is, you know you should never have done that. Do you have any idea how much you hurt your mother? Do you have any idea how, how long I saved and how hard I worked to save up that inheritance for you? Do you have any idea what you've done to me? The Father has none of those emotions. He is just glad that that which is lost, that which was dead to him, had come alive, had been found. And so the verse ends that says, so the party began. And he threw a tremendous party. Meanwhile, The older son was in the fields working. And when he returned home, he heard music and dancing. And he asked one of his servants, what is going on? And he said, your brother is back and your father has killed a fatted calf. And we're celebrating because of his safe return. There's a party going on, man. Your brother's back. But the older brother was angry. Good job there tonight. And it wouldn't go in. And here we see the older brother who did not have his father's heart. He was angry and bitter towards his brother. His father came out and begged him, but re- he replied, all these years I have slaved for you and I have... And never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me one goat for a feast for my friends. In other words, I've been doing all the things. I've been faithful to you. I've been honest. I have done everything you've required of me. I've taken care of the things you've entrusted to me. I've been faithful. But this one who is unfaithful, who squandered and lost everything that you worked so hard for, you welcoming back? Now I don't know about you. Can you can you understand the frustration here? He is not just hurting for himself, he's hurting for his father. The pain after the pain he caused you, you're just welcoming him back. But he's also thinking about himself. Look at all the things I've done for you. How come you haven't done anything for me? You see, this son was fixated on himself primarily. As a result, he was unable to share in the joy of his father. In the same way, you and I, the thing that robs us of the joy of the love of the Father for others is our fixation with ourselves and the love of God for me and the blessings of God for me. Which, in, which I only then take joy when I'm the one being blessed. I only take joy when I'm the one who's having this amazing experience with God. What happens if God decides to move in your friend's life? Oh, but I've been praying. They haven't even been praying. I've been putting in the hard, to hours on my knees, God. How come you're blessing them? What happens when God decides to move in the church down the street? And they have a revival? We've been praying, Craig. How can, how can, how can God do that? How Why? What about me? You see how self-centered this attitude can become? And this is This is what these parables speak into. His father said to him, Dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. He acknowledges that the son has been there, has been true, has been faithful. You see, folks, children often lose sight of the fact that everything a good father does is for their well-being. Everything a good father does is for their well-being. Even in getting them to do do work around the house and do chores. Am I doing that for my well-being? Okay, partly yes. But actually, actually it's for the children. So they can learn responsibility. So that they can learn skills. And I can watch TV. (laughs) However, When this realization is not in the forefront of our minds as children, we're inclined to believe that they're doing it for themselves, for their own well-being. Dad's just lazy. Why do we have to do all the work? I love it when that kind of comment comes up. You know, a little while ago, our kids, we watched the musical Annie, and a few days after that, they had to sweep the front veranda, and there they are, both with their brooms. It's a hard knock life for us. It's an because they had to sweep the veranda. It was brilliant. You see, we fail to realize so often that our parents are preparing us for that which lies ahead. God is preparing us for that which He's prepared for us. Sometimes that comes with a measure of suffering. You need to learn how to do things. You need to suffer a bit of lack. You need to suffer the uncomfortable things to develop the strength of character as well as the practical skills that will stand you in good stead when you come into the time when your inheritance comes to fruition. If I just keep doing everything for my little girls, they're not going to grow up. They're not going to grow up. They need to learn how to fight their... They come home, tell us about this bully or that person or this friend who said this. All right, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I know, I, know, I know cases where a mother will phone another mother and say, your child just did this today. What's your point? Are you going to fight their battle for them? How are You teach them how to respond. What is this? I'm not getting involved. Teach them how. Raise them. Final verse. The father says to his son, we had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and he has come back to life. He was lost and now he is found. Now folks, maybe as we listen to the story, we can identify with different characters in it. Perhaps you feel like you've been the prodigal. You've been on the run. You've decided you want to do your own thing. Maybe you recognize yourself as the older brother and you carry a measure of resentment towards God, towards spiritual oversight. Maybe you see yourself as a spiritual mother or father figure or even if it's your own natural children whom you dearly love, but whose hearts are disconnected, who don't really desire want intimacy with you at all. There is a joy that comes from reconciliation, a joy that comes from no longer mourning that which was lost, but coming into the joy of that which is found. When we lose our sense of deep joy and desire to see the lost being restored to the Father, now we're talking about unbelievers here, we must realize that we too have become fixated on our own self-interests. When we've lost the joy of winning souls to Jesus, that's a clear sign that we have become fixated on our own well-being, our own self-interests, making it through the day, bringing in, an, earning an income, just trying to make it to the end of the month, doing what I need to do to get by, self-centered. Listen to me, not sinful, but self-centered. No time to go beyond anything that doesn't benefit me. And whether we're like the, de- the, the, the younger brother or the older brother, genuine descent, de- repentance is required. The younger brother departed from the Father's heart. The older brother lost perspective of the Father's heart. But either way, what I'm calling you back to this morning is the realization that in the heart of our Heavenly Father is a deep deep love for each and every single soul on this planet. Both those who call themselves Christians and who know Jesus as their personal Savior as well as those who do not. Those who are lost to Him. Those by their own choices who are dead to God. Not because He's cast them off. Perhaps it's better to say God is dead to them. You know, you don't find joy in finding something that was never valuable to you. You know, us guys, every now and then we have to clean the garage. you find lots of things you'd lost. They don't bring you joy. Oh, that nut. <gasps> this was a precious No, it's just a nut. But when something is precious to you, as much as God rejoices over finding the hearts of those who were lost to him, so too, we should rejoice at finding the love of the Father that we too had been missing. Amen. There was a time in our lives when that love was lost to us. And that discovery is one of the greatest discoveries in the world. When we do so, we begin sharing in this joy, and our hearts begin to break for the lost, and we begin to share in God's joy at seeing them restored to, 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 to the heart of the Father and to intimacy with the Father. We have for the past couple of weeks now been praying for the people whose names are in this bowl. When the kids asked me this morning, what's in the basket? I said, it's people we want to be saved. No, sorry, it's the names of people who we want to be saved. It would be a very big basket if all these names... But these names, each one that is written on these pieces of paper represents somebody that is deeply precious and loved by God. And the whole reason we're doing this is because we want to share in His compassion and His mercy and His love for these people so that we too can share in His joy when they are ushered into and come into saving faith in Jesus Christ. We want to share in the Father's heart of God. And part of this is because we want to cultivate that heart. You see, maybe some of us have recognized or realized that we have been Preoccupied with ourselves. So preoccupied that we've lost sight of reaching out and sharing the wonderful, powerful news of the gospel with others. And so this is serving as a reminder to us every week, but it's also an opportunity for us every week to align our hearts once again with the love of God the Father for each and every person represented here. As we do so, guess what? That love for them begins to grow and be cultivated in our hearts. And so I want to ask you to stand with me this morning as we. On this Father's Day, lift these individuals up to the Father of all creation in prayer. And this morning we say, Father God, we want to thank you for the fact that we have tasted the wonder of your love. Thank you that you have welcomed us into your family. Thank you that the forgiveness of Jesus Christ has become ours, that we have received salvation. And Lord, this morning we want to lift to You, Father, and bring to Your remembrance the many that are represented within this basket, Lord God, the many names, each of whom You know deeply and intimately and love deeply. But, Father, who perhaps do not know You. And we want to pray for these individuals this morning. We want to pray, number one, for a softening of their hearts towards You, Heavenly Father. We want to pray, Lord God, that the fears the insecurities that keep them from coming to you, Lord God, that you would begin to speak into those areas of their lives. Begin to break the lies of the enemy and prepare the ground, Lord God, for the seed of your word. May they have realizations that the things they have lent on and put their faith in and trusted in as knowledge are not true and are unstable. And may their quest for the truth, Father God, lead them to you. Father, we pray that you would send along their path those who would speak to them the truth of your word, those who would demonstrate to them the unconditional nature of your love. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would continue to give us a burden, Heavenly Father, to pray for them, to lift them to you daily. Lord, we pray that you would dispatch angels, Lord God, that they would begin to tear down even the strongholds, Father God, that hold their minds and their, and their hearts in bondage and in captivity, Father God. We want to pray that your freedom and the liberty of your love would come into their lives in the mighty name of Jesus. We pray for the prodigals, those who may have known you, those who may be offended with you, those who have been hurt through the church, those who have turned their back on you. And we pray, Father God, that according to your word, they would come to themselves, that they would have a realization, Heavenly Father, that you are good, and that they would draw near and come into your mercy and into the flow of your grace. We pray this morning for true and sincere repentance for every one of these people, that repentance would be granted, that you would enable open their eyes to see, open their ears to hear, and their hearts to receive the love of Jesus Christ, and to come into your kingdom and become sons and daughters of the Most High God. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Furthermore, Lord God, we also pray that you would Continue to work in our hearts concerning the lost around us. That you would continue, Father, providing us with opportunities to share your love, to invite somebody, whether it be to church or into a loving relationship with you. Help us to spot opportunities to be your mouthpiece, Lord God. And give us the boldness, I pray, to do so. In the mighty name of Jesus, that we may be partakers in the joy that you feel when the lost come back into intimacy with you. We pray this and we thank you for this today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.